morning. That was beautiful. <laughs> Did you notice the size of the church? They're just doing that. <laughs> I was like, wow, I can kind of relate to that. You know, for this size church to just us raised 300, and our goal is 350, so we're minus 48 boxes. So, yeah, some of you have to go shopping <laughs> after church. And uh, we'll pick them up today and tomorrow, so we're good. All right, I'm ready to go. You guys ready? All right. You guys ready back there? All right. Well, anybody gone shopping lately? Yeah, and you do notice that um, it's looking more and more like Christmas. It's not hard to imagine. It's just around the corner. Uh, yesterday I went to go buy some Thanksgiving plates. I know, it's a little late. There was hard, I was at Hobby Lobby. So, I mean, Hobby Lobby, it's the place to go, and there were hardly anything left. All the oranges and the browns and the golds were gone, out with the autumn and in with the red and the green. And I just kind of went, wow, okay, so we're upon this season. But, you know, really, I love this season a lot. I love scarves. I like wool socks. I like layering. Um, I like uh, sweaters. I also like uh, drinking by the chimney fireplace there, Randy specialty, cocoa. It's got coffee, a little bit of coffee, cocoa, peppermint, and a secret ingredient. But I know that a lot of you have been waiting for Starbucks holiday drinks that cost $10, right? Okay, you're admitting it, yes. And you've been waiting all year for that. Um, I like to heat up my kitchen by making hearty, delicious soups and making cranberry bread and pumpkin muffins and macaron cookies. I really like it a lot, you can tell. I like decorating. I like decorating the church. I like decorating my tree. But there's something that I really like especially is that every other year our family gets all together, all the kids, all the son-in-laws, all the grandkids, and this is the year. So I get to go to Colorado and have a white Christmas with my brew, my, my fun family, so I'm really excited about that. But something I don't like, and I think you can all relate to this, is the super long line, right? I mean, it just does not matter where we're going. We could be going to a parts store, for goodness sake, and it's crowded. And I don't know where all the people are the rest of the time of the year, but they all come out at Christmas. And it doesn't matter what store I go to, it's crowded and the longs are super long. So I'm not really sure when Christmas became the retail industry's favorite day of the year or season of the year, but it has. The National Federal... Retail Federation, did you even know there was an organization called that? But there is. The National Retail Federation says that the great state of Texas, our retail industry has created more than 3.5 million jobs, 300,000 retail stores in our state alone. And we are known, our state is known as the second largest retail climate in the country. I think New York is probably number one. The National Retail Federation expects consumers to spend $437 billion this Christmas. Now compare that with what we gave to Katrina. The Hurricane Katrina fee was $2.7 billion. <laughs> so Advent originated um, as a season where people would fast and prepare for Christmas. Now, very few people fast at this time now, but we still, a lot of us still do Lent, where we fast in preparation for Easter. 
But fasting before Christmas sounds downright mean, right? I mean, this is the season for cookies and candies and eggnog and pie and lots and lots of whipped cream. Actually, Advent is the time when we think about Jesus and about his birth. I'm trying to get you back. Let's run and get you back. <laughs> we think about Emmanuel, God with us. But somewhere along the way, Advent became all about Black Friday and Cyber Monday, and stores are opening later and later and earlier and earlier. Some of our, our church members can't even come to church on Sunday because they have to work now late Saturday night or into Sunday. So what should be a season of fasting and waiting has become a time of super overindulgence and overdoing. Now, unlike any other country and any other time of history of mankind, we are wealthier than we ever have been, and yet we're miserable. Many are miserable. We become more efficient in how we do life. We're faster and better than we ever did were before. We're more affluent. And yet there's something missing. And we've had to pay a price. And part of what we've had to pay the price is that we become more egotistical and more entitled to more and more and more. And one of the things that's happening is that we have a powerful sound system now. <laughs> and we're figuring it out. And so one of the other things that's happened is that one of the prices that I think we've paid is that Jesus is becoming more and more pushed to the margins and less the center of what we're doing. So for the last past nine weeks, we have been in a series called More Love, More Power, and it's based from the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And um, as I've mentioned before, the gospel is the good news of Jesus having died and resurrected, and now he's Lord of the world. And as Lord of the world, he is inviting us to be transformed, to be changed into the image of his son, Jesus. And besides that, this same Jesus is inviting us to be a part of transforming his world, loving his broken world. That's amazing. To me, that is a gift, salvation and the ability to be changed and to be changing and loving his world are beautiful gifts that Jesus has given us. And he tells us, come on, come with me, church. Come with me, Ben, your church, and be a part of changing and healing my lost and hurting world. But somewhere along the way, Folks have reduced the gospel to be a fire insurance policy. That its sole purpose is to save us from hell. We've missed the point of this much great gospel. And so we've minimized the gospel and made it a puny message. People know just enough about the Bible to feel miserable. Right? They know that they shouldn't lie and they shouldn't cheat anymore and they shouldn't steal. And, you know, we just can't do the things we used to do because there's this nagging question, I wonder what God is thinking about what I'm doing. And so we become people of rules and regulations and obligations, religion. And we've lost our way. And besides that, 
besides having this little puny little gospel, we then half-heartedly give ourselves over to God. We only partially let him in and partially have lordship of us. Well, last week we looked at two stories about two different men that sold everything to get. One was getting a treasure which was buried in the ground, and the other one was getting a pearl of great price. And we noticed that both these guys had no sense of sacrifice in giving everything to get these prizes. No reluctancy, no hesitation, no sense of obligation. It was just like, oh, this is awesome. I'm giving everything. And we've talked over the course of the series about the gospel being the good news that Jesus preaches that includes love, healing, forgiveness, justice, and compassion. And today I want to talk about a practice that I believe is uh, not used sufficiently enough in our lives and will bring up for us this greater gospel. And it is the practice of thanksgiving. And so I've called today's message, and it's our final message on this series, Empowered Thanksgiving. So let's pray. Well, Holy Spirit, thank you for um, changing our minds and getting stuck on a puny gospel. Lord, and any of us are stuck in this puny little gospel with do's and don'ts, I pray, Lord, that you just continue to break that mentality in us so that we could be freed to walk in the truth of your gospel. And Holy Spirit, I ask for an openness in our spirits to hear from you, that you would use me, Lord, in this message to bless your people and to bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Luke 17, verses uh, 11 to 19, I'll read it this time. It happened that as he made his way towards Jerusalem, he crossed over the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten men, all lepers, met him. They kept their distance but raised their voices, calling out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Taking a good look at them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priest. They went, and while still on their way, became clean. One of them, when he realized that he was healed, turned around and came back, shouting his gratitude, glorifying God. He knelt at Jesus' feet, so grateful. He couldn't thank him enough. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus said, were not ten healed? Where are the nine? Can none be found to come back and give glory to God except this outsider then he said to him get up on your way your faith has healed and saved you now luke the writer of the gospel of luke was a doctor so he was meticulous he was logical and he was observant of details and facts that some of the other gospel writers omits and uh, throughout his gospel you if you read Luke, in comparison to the other Gospels, you read um, passages and details that are not included in any of the other Gospels. And Luke does this intentionally. He has a purpose in doing this. So in verse 11, it happened that as Jesus made his way toward Jerusalem, he crossed over the border between Samaria and Galilee. Now, Jesus is traveling between 
now two towns to the border, and this is in the border was where we would find these colonies of lepers. And he's passing now, and he's headed to Jerusalem. And you know, Samaria and Galilee have a lot of history, really bad blood there, a lot of history there. And Jesus knows I'm headed to Jerusalem for the final time. He's had 33 years of uh, living, and the last three years have been public ministry, and he knows I'm facing now towards the cross. And that is my final destiny. And everything about Jesus, his life, was all culminating into this one purpose, to establish the kingdom rule of God through his death and resurrection, to release then the coming of the Holy Spirit so that we could be a part of being healed and a part of healing his world. Now, while he's walking to Jerusalem, he's interrupted by these, these people, these men. Verse 12. As he entered a village, ten men, all lepers, met him. They kept their distance. Now, we're introduced in chapter 17 to these ten men, but we really don't have a lot of details about them. We know that they're men. We don't know their names. We don't know how old they are. We don't know if they have any family. But Luke does tell us a couple of things. They're a colony of lepers. So most likely they're a mixture of men from these different um, areas that are coming together with this common identity that they have amongst them. And that their whole life boils down to this one thing, their disease for lepers. Oh, she's the one with cerebral palsy. Oh, he's the Down syndrome guy. Leprosy today is known as Hansen disease, and we know it's a chronic infection caused by two bacteria. Initially, the infection goes unnoticed, and there's no evidence of any symptoms whatsoever, and that can go on for 5 to 20 years. When it begins to surface, then you begin to see spots on the eyelids or possibly in the hands. And eventually those spots take over the whole body. When that infection goes into the nervous system, then the person begins to no longer feel the extremities of their body. So they begin to lose feeling in their fingers, in their toes. So if they are stepping on a nail, they wouldn't know about it. If their hand's too close to the fire, they wouldn't know about it. If they have a cut in their body, they wouldn't be able to feel it. And over time, the fingers and the toes become shortened and deformed, and the body is covered with injuries. Now, leprosy is spread between people, and it's believed it's spread through a cough, through contact with mucus from um, the nose from a person who's infected. And regularly, leprosy, if it happens, it more commonly occurs in areas of poverty. Now, today, leprosy is curable with treatment lasting 6 to 12 months. Yet separating people and placing them in leper colonies is still used in countries like India, China, and Africa. Now, even with all these physical ailments, as horrible they, as they are, there is something even much greater than a physical um, punishment that's here. Now, in the time that Jesus uh, was walking the earth and Luke was writing Luke, there was no cure for leprosy. And people were forced to live in um, colonies for lepers. Forced to live outside of the walls of the city, far away from the rest of humanity. 
So if a leper were to venture out of the colony and people were to come close to the border of the, of the area, they had to carry bells that were constantly ringing and they constantly had to shout, unclean, 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 so everybody would know that they were near. They were not invited to weddings or parties. They were not allowed to go into the temple to worship God. And on top of all that, people believed that they had this disease because they were wicked. So not only were they ostracized and rejected by their family and their community, but they felt rejected ultimately by God. God was punishing them. So the life of a leopard is one of shame, guilt, and rejection. And they were the ultimate of outcasts, even more so than prostitutes or tax collectors. So here they are, these ten lepers, destitute, despised, and desperate. Now, have any of you ever felt that way? And, and if you're feeling that way even now, I have good news. The gospel is for you. Because the gospel is the gospel when we're healed from our brokenness and our sadness. And the gospel is the gospel whenever we care for the poor and we box a box for an Operation Christmas Child. The gospel is the gospel when we welcome foreigners and let them feel like they're part of our family. And the gospel is the gospel when the rule and reign of God comes into our churches, our homes, our workplaces, and our lives. And that is the gospel that Jesus invites us to believe in and to walk in. Now, these nameless ten men have lived in the outskirts of the village, and they hear that Jesus is walking by. So verse 13, they kept their distance, but raised their voices, calling out, not unclean, unclean, but Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. I mean, these men are desperate. They're loud. They're inappropriate. They are rude. They're definitely ignoring protocol. And sometimes in our affluence and in our pride, we do not go to God and ask him for help. We let our pride get in the way. You know, if you are a self-sufficient person in the past, this doesn't mean that you need to be one for the rest of your life. You can admit that you need Jesus, that you need his help. And so Jesus, full of compassion and mercy, takes time to look at these men and interacts with them as if they were humans. Verse 14. Taking a good look at them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priest. They went, and while still on their way, became clean. Jesus tells them to go see the priest. And that was what needed to be done. That's what was commanded in Leviticus chapter 14. These are the instructions for the infected person at the time of his cleansing. First, bring him to the priest. The priest will take him outside the camp and make an examination. And so the priest would look, check it over, and see how they're doing. And then he would deem, you know what, you've been restored. And then he would let them go back into society. Verses 14 to 16. They went, and while still on their way, became clean. One of them, when he realized that he was healed, turned around and came back, shouting his gratitude, glorifying God. He knelt at Jesus' feet, so grateful. He couldn't thank him enough. And he was a Samaritan. 
So interesting that Luke adds this little fact that he's a Samaritan. Now remember that they're in a border town, Samaria and Galilee, and Luke inserts that detail to let us know that the gospel is for oppressed, hurting people. And this one Samaritan is the only one that decides that, gosh, I ought to thank this person who brought this healing to me. So this is a small detail, but important, because in the Gospels of Luke, as you read Luke, you will find that he puts accounts and details about Jesus reacting and interacting with women and children and Samaritans and lepers and marginalized and oppressed people, because that is our gospel. So if you're feeling disconnected or oppressed or alone, the gospel's for you. Now, what should be our response to such compassion and acceptance? Well, the leper, his was gratitude. Now, uh, we have several kids, and our third daughter, Esther, and my son-in-law, Daniel, um, decided to adopt a child. One of their children is adopted. He was adopted when he was two years old. And they adopted him from Taiwan. And his name is Griffin. And when, you know, he was two years old when they picked him up. And like most kids that age, he had about 25 uh, word vocabulary from Taiwanese, right? And um, here he is with his 25 words. And for the first time, he sees um, his blonde daddy, his uh, beautiful mommy, and his two blonde siblings. And this is his forever family. And at that first encounter, he hears from them American words. Mommy, Daddy, and American names, Izzy and Aiden. Well, obviously, those 25 Taiwanese words have faded away, and he's now... Um, overcome them with English words. But um, for him, it took a little longer to get to those 25 American words than maybe your kids would do who are normal kids. Um, But like most kids, uh, Griffin is fun and active, and um, he's going to be four next month. We get to see him on his birthday. Like most kids, he looks like an angel when he's asleep, And like most kids, he is causing his dad to go bald. Those of you who are daddies know what I'm talking about. But one of Griffin's most significant frustrations, the source of his frustration, was his inability to communicate. To communicate to his parents what he wanted and to understand what they were asking of him. So when he learned to say thank you, it came a little bit later than some of your children. It was last month, (laughs) two months shy of being four years old. And he said, thank you, Grandmama. You know, parenting by far is probably the hardest thing that I've ever done and that some of you are still doing. You know, you worry about your kids, about their future, their friends, their education, you worry about protecting them. You worry about, you know, what if I'm totally destroying my kids because I'm not that good of a parent? 
And one of the times when you can just kind of put all that aside and it just feels so worth it is when your little boy or little girl says, thank you, Mommy. Thank you, Daddy. And it makes that crabby day just go away and you just feel like this is totally worth it. You know, they may not fully understand what they're saying when they say thank you, especially when your child was one years old. But it doesn't matter. Something in your heart leaps when you hear those words. Now, you might think that teaching our kids to say thank you is common sense. You know, common etiquette is just nice. People should say thank you. Even when they're adults, they should say thank you. But that is not why God instructs us to give thanks to him. I am convinced of this. Anything, anything that God asks us to do is always motivated out of love and because he wants us to know that we're loved. There is no commandment that you can tell me about that somehow God is not thinking about what's best for me. So in a book called The Voice of Jesus, it's written by Gordon Smith. I'm only halfway done. But this one chapter is worth the price of the book. The chapter was called The Assurance of God's Love. And he explains how God's love is one that we do not deserve. We are messed up. We are sinners. We are ungodly. We are fickle. We change our minds. We say yes to this, but no to that. And yet God loves us. This is a quote from the book. This means there is nothing we can do to make God love us more. Can we just say that all together? This means there is nothing we can do to make God love us more. We cannot earn his love, manipulate things to make God love us more, or make any way make ourselves more lovable. Nothing can make his love increase. We are already loved to the full. Now, I read that chapter, and I read that quote, and I thought, I know this, but it went deeper. It went deeper. I can't make myself more lovable. I can't manipulate a love that's already complete. Okay, so maybe that's true, Clara. And, you know, I know that, you know, you're one of those people that you know just enough about the Bible to know that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But I don't feel it here. My, my whole entire life, my experience growing up was just the opposite of that kind of love. My marriage is not even functioning that way. You know, many of our homes were set up with the fundamental assumption that we would be loved if we behaved appropriately. But that's not how God's love works. Okay, so you may be asking, and if you're not, I'm going to put this question in your head. If there's nothing I can deserve, do to deserve God's love, if there's nothing I can do to earn God's love, is there something I can possibly do to experience it more? Because I'm stuck. I got to hear, but it hasn't traveled to 18 inches to hear. And that's what this message is all about. Thanksgiving. When God commands us to thank him, it is not because he needs to be accepted or approved of or recognized. It's because he knows that when we do that, 
we become more aware and can experience God's love. He knows that when we stop and pay attention to him and what he's done, our hearts open up and our vision expands. We're able to experience a love that's already there, is already present. But in that act of thanksgiving, we actually cooperate with being able to experience and become more aware of his love. Yes, Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit are worthy to be praised. Don't say, Clara doesn't say we have to thank God. He's absolutely worthy to be praised for all that he's done for us. But that is not the point. From God's perspective, the point is for you to experience his love. Like I said before, I don't think there's one commandment that he's ever said to me that was based on anything else but love. Do not fornicate. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Okay. Now, thanking God does not healing us, does not heal us. Does it also, it doesn't make us more lovable. Thanking God just opens us up to become more aware and attentive to God's love. Now, if the leper believed what the religious contemporaries were teaching, which is, you've been rejected by God. You are evil. And that's why you are a leper. Then what do you think was running through his mind when Jesus was coming through? Is it possible that the teaching was false? That maybe the religious leaders had it wrong? Maybe I'm not bad after all. For those of us who experience chronic illness or have a child with a chronic illness, it is really easy to be tempted and think, this happened because I'm bad. Jesus says, I love you. I love sinners. I love sick people. I love really chronic sick people. Your sickness and the sickness of your child is not because I don't love you. It has nothing to do with how I feel about you. Well, maybe I'm sick because I haven't said the right prayer. You're not supposed to say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on me. That has nothing to do with it. Now, there's an interesting contrast from this story about the ten lepers and the uh, story that Luke talked about in chapter 5 where he heals Jesus heals one leper. Luke 5, 12 to 13. One day, in one of the villages, there was a man covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell down before him in prayer and said, if you want to, if you want to, you can cleanse me. If you want to. What does that sound like? It sounds like someone just not sure that God hasn't really ultimately rejected him, that he really is a bad person and deserves this sickness. Jesus put out his hand and touched him and said, I want to be cleaned. And then and there his skin was smooth and leprosy gone. Now the healing of this leper was complete. It was immediate. There was no waiting and in it, Jesus touches them. And the other ones, he shouts out to them because they're far off. Go to the priest, right? 
And for whatever reasons, we're not told why, Jesus takes a different approach to healing this man. And I think we can safely say that there's no one way that people get healed. There's no one technique, one formula, one prayer, one stance, one community of people that just happen to have that zing. You don't have to go to California or Kansas or Toronto or wherever you go. Jesus wants to heal people. So if there's nothing I can do to earn God's love, there's nothing I can do to position myself to feel God's relentless love for me. What can be done? What can I do to experience his love? And that's a great question. The answer is thanksgiving. When we give thanks to God, we open our hearts and our minds to experience more of God and his love. You know, when we are in that place of thankfulness, and, you know, we're headed to a special day that's designated to give thanks. Even our non-Christian friends and atheist friends do the Thanksgiving thing. Then Even some of them will do the two kernels of corn, and what are you thankful about this year, and what are you thankful about next year? It has nothing to do with God, but it doesn't matter. They're, they're thanking. All right. So, anyway, sorry. But when we do that, we cannot live simultaneously with self-pity and thankfulness. They, they can't be in the same heart at the same time. Because we're living, when we are thinking, we're living in the realm of truth. Of what's real, that God loves us. And he particularly has shown that to us. And thanksgiving humbles us to the reality of God's goodness. Now, this does not mean that we need to deny our pain or our sickness or our disappointment. It means that in the midst of our pain, we choose not to turn our back from God. And we choose to remember that God loves us. Okay, in the French language, there is an expression of gratitude um, and Thanksgiving is, uh, that word is richer than our English language, and it's the word reconnaissance. Now, when most of you think of that word, you think about the military usage, which means, you know, to investigate and explore for the purpose of gathering information. But when that word reconnaissance is put with, in the context of gratitude, it means investigating and exploring for the purpose of seeing to whom thanks should be given. Gratitude means to investigate and explore one's life for the purpose of seeing to whom thanks should be given. So it's more than being polite. It's more than just being nice. Doing the work of reconnaissance is to actively seek, who should I be thanking? Now, in recent years, psychologists have done a lot of research on the topic of thanksgiving and gratitude. And a professor from UC Davis, his name was Robert Emmons, did studies on this. And he went to see what are the effects of people who are giving thanks, people who are full of gratitude. And listen to this. Increased feelings of connectedness. Ever gone to church, feel disconnected? Improved relationships. Ever struggled in relationships? They found that people that express gratitude, they feel more loving, 
They feel more forgiving. And a secular research showed that they felt closer to God. I love when science proves what God's been saying all along, you know. Grateful people are less lonely. Gratitude is how we train our hands to stop grabbing for more. Gratitude is how we train our heart to not have this sense of, I deserve more entitlement. So in choosing to return to Jesus, the Samaritan, he makes a value decision. Having a relationship with Jesus is more important than going on with my life. So while the nine were focused on the gift of healing, the one comes back to honor the giver. Empower thanks. It's not just delighting for the benefits of God or counting our blessings, which is all part of that. It is an invitation to a relationship. When you are thanking God on Thursday or Wednesday or Friday, whenever it is that you're doing that, think of it as an invitation to relationship more relationship with God, and to open your heart to experience more of his love. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Jesus, Paul says here, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I mean, this is pretty clear, right? It sounds to me like a commandment. This is God's will for your life, right? Giving thanks in all circumstances is not possible if we're thanking God for only the good things. When things are going our way. In order to give thanks in all circumstances, we have to look beyond the gift or the circumstances to the giver. It's in the relationship with Jesus that empowers us to give thanks in all circumstances. Now, I just want to give us three quick things to do that I think will help us in growing to be more grateful people because I want you to experience God's love. This is one of the agendas here. (laughs) I want you to experience God's love. And so if I'm going to talk about gratefulness being a part of how we can experience more of his love, I want to empower you to be more grateful people. So real quick, first of all, become a generous person. Generous people are grateful people. It goes hand in hand. If you're finding it difficult to be thankful this Christmas holiday, then be more generous. Give more of your time, your energy, your money, your talents. Second, use the last 15 minutes of your night when you're in bed and you're feeling like, I'm going to doze off here. Use the last 15 minutes of your night to think back on your day, to examine it. Reconnaissance, right? So look for information and situations where is there someone I ought to give thanks for? What was my day like? What did I do? What did I think? What did I say? Is there anybody that I need to reconcile with? Is there somebody I need to thank? Thirdly, regularly ponder on the cross. Think on the cross and what Christ has done because that is the greatest gift he could ever give to us. And yes, sometimes when you look at the cross and you know what did that, my sin, my sin this morning, my sin last night, (laughs) that you become more aware of our neediness, our sinfulness. But God says, no, I want that symbol to remind you of my love. So think of that this Christmas. 
verses 17 to 18, he kneeled at Jesus' feet so grateful he couldn't thank him enough. He was a Samaritan. And Jesus said, we're not ten healed. Where are the nine? Can none be found to come back and give glory to God except this outsider? I mean, do you hear Jesus' sadness? The sadness is, oh, nobody noticed I did that. No. His sadness is that we fail to notice his love. Only one of you noticed that God loved you. And 90% of you didn't. That is his sadness. That we go through a day not noticing, not attending to the fact that we are loved by God. So that's my challenge for us, folks, as we go into Thanksgiving for radical gratefulness. Choose to thank God and notice him. Amen. You know, with all this light, you really, like, don't need this thing. All righty. Does everybody have somewhere to go for Thanksgiving that wants to go somewhere? And if there's someone here that doesn't have a place to go that would like to be somewhere, because, I mean, sometimes we just want to be by ourselves. I understand that. But if you do not have a place, then you must come to me after the service. I don't want you to raise your hand because that could be a little embarrassing. Like, I don't know anybody. You know. So you come to me, and we will feed you and play with you and remove some of your loneliness, okay? Do not anybody leave here not knowing that you're led by God or by this church family. Okay, let's pray. Let's stand up. Jesus, we would really like for our love in our brain, that what we believe about you and what you've done to travel to our heart. Come Holy Spirit. You not only convict us of sin, you convict us of love. Convince your people, Lord, that you love them. That they don't have to be more lovable. They don't have to change to be loved by you. Your love is complete. Come, Holy Spirit. Do your work. Go deeper. Let your love for us go deeper. Convince us from the head to our toes that you love us. You could never stop loving us. Go deeper, Holy Spirit. We need you. Have mercy on us. We give thanks. We give thanks, Jesus.
We give thanks, Holy Spirit. We give thanks, Papa. Amen. Well, if you'd like to have some prayer for healing or for anything going on in your life, just come on up. There's some be nice people here to pray for you. And God bless you.